Live from the world that never was, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Welcome to episode 84 of Derailed Trains of Thought. Hi. This is Timothy Deal. This is Nick Hayden. And we are coming to you from an uh, interesting cityscape here. Yeah, I feel like I am here, even though apparently it never was here. Yeah, this is apparently a world of non-existence. Oh, well, I'm that glad ex- to be here. That I've, exists. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's cool. And it's kind of gritty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had we had to fight off some weird blobby monster yeah, things. Yeah, and, and nice neon lights, and it, I mean, it feels very kind of a like it could almost be like a noir thing. Yeah, if, if there wasn't that weird floating castle over that crater over there. Yeah, it it's cool, but a little frightening, <laughs> intimidating, I suppose. Yes, I feel like we should be getting ready for a final battle of sorts. Yeah, maybe I I, I would like to have a if, a sword of some sort, maybe just non-existent, and I can use it anyways. <laughs> as long as you could summon it. Yes, when exactly. It. Right, I'm sure. I can. <laughs> well, anyway, Happy New Year, Nick. Yes, Happy New Year, Tim. It's 2018. Yes, we haven't podcasted like this for a whole year. Yeah, or since last year, at least. Well, since, yes, since last year. <laughs> yeah, it's been a year. That's, yeah. that's the way the joke is supposed to go. It's been, it's been a year I, since the yeah, last time like we that. did this. Yeah, <laughs> did you have a nice Christmas yes, break? it was a great Christmas break with the family and the New Year's evening with all the youth. Oh, yes, um, your, your annual lock-in. Yes, my, my, my annual staying up all night. <laughs> it, went, it actually went really well. We were a little worried because we had a lot of new young people, but mm-hmm. it was great. Cool. Well, and I, I just got back from a vacation myself. Usually, you're the only one who gets to go on a winter vacation. But now you got one. I got one. It was, and you weren't even in a fun. cold spot. No, although it was colder down at Hilton Head Island than I've ever seen it before because they actually had some snow in the ground, which I think even the week before they got more. Okay. And it was like in like 28 years, they hadn't seen anything like that. So wow. It was for you, Tim. Yeah. I felt it felt a very historic time to, to visit. <laughs> uh, but we actually did have some nice weather. It got it to like mid 60s. No, that's uh, not bad. A at couple all. days. So, so yes. it was uh, zero here just recently. Yes. Yes. A little warmer now, but <laughs> we're not here, here, but back well, at home. Yeah. Back at home in Indiana. Yeah. Here, it's a little drizzle here, but otherwise we're doing okay. Yeah. But um, anyway, we're happy to be back uh, podcasting with you. I, th- I suppose we should mention, we'll probably mention again at the end, but the Weekly Hijack has still been going on. Yes, we just started back, well, as of recording, we've just recently started back up. Yes. And it's uh, Babylon 5! Woohoo! The best science fiction show very few people have watched. If you've been listening to our podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard us talking about Babylon 5. It, it would make, yeah, on the on the bingo that we were going to create, it would be a pretty good spot. Yes. So many great, so much great storytelling in that series. It is a, yeah, so... You need to listen to our podcast, and you need to go hunt down Alan Five on Go90.com. Go90.com should really—they're not a sponsor, but they should be because we're <laughs> we're promoting. It's like this: there's this legitimate streaming site you've never heard of, but it has at least one awesome show. Like no one else has Alan Five, but there it is in this like corner of the internet that no one cares about. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, again, if you've heard us talk about Babylon 5, never seen it, this is your chance. We specifically set up the podcast so the first half is just for people. We have uh, Brianna Hayden, your yep, sister-in-law, in law. Um, who has also never seen it. So we talk about it with her. And then in the second half is when we do spoiler stuff. People because there's, all, there's always spoiler stuff. Yes. Almost. Um, I mean, obviously, we're recording the, the podcast right after watching an episode. So yeah. you don't want to listen to the podcast before you watch an episode. No. But after you watch the episode and then avoid the spoiler section where we talk about things that happen way later yeah. in the show. Because there's tons of foreshadowing. Season one is just all foreshadowing. It's honestly. amazing. Yeah. We'll remind you. We'll plug that again at the end of the, the episode. But for right now, let's go on to story school. So today in Story School, we are going to talk about plot. Plot, which is oddly something we've not directly talked about that often. On yeah, this. we've talked about a lot of themes sort of things and things you do in your stories, but not plot specifically. I think this is partly because you've called yourself a very character-focused writer. <laughs> That's before. probably true, yes. <laughs> so plot's a big topic. Covers a lot of ground, yes. potentially. Well, what I thought, one of the reasons I thought we this might be a good topic I thought it'd be interesting to discuss the spectrum between 
A simple plot and a complicated plot. All right, Tim. Define for me, what do you mean by simple? Not many moving parts? The sort of movie, like, say, uh, an action movie that you get done, like, there is nothing to that, you know? Okay. Um, so, so, uh, I so mean, there could oh, be a lot of movement, but just not much. Because, like, some action movies, there's lots of set pieces, mm-hmm. but, like, yeah, not much happens in terms of moving forward. Not, not plot progression. Like, if you, you summarize it, it's basically... Uh, they lost the thing and then they found it again. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, here's something I, I will argue over the course of this discussion, probably. I think there's good, simple, and bad simple, and there's probably good, complicated, and bad, complicated. Well, let's, let's since we're on simple, let's talk good and bad simple. Okay. I think good, simple, you know, your short stories, you've kind of perfected this having written... Well, trying to, but... Trying yeah. to. You've written, like, 100 flash fictions at this 103, point? 103. Not counting my... Uh, not counting the ones that went for uh, Cho and the Wells. Okay. So, short stories, flash fictions, even, you know, cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you don't need much complicated uh, stuff in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. No. You want that to be kind of direct and to the point. So, that's... What do you find enjoyable um, about doing a story in this kind of condensed format? Well, I guess the, the one of the benefits of a simple plot is that you're focusing on one thing, so that's all you're feeling, thinking about. You know, it's like you're not distracted. It's just here it is. Mm-hmm. I recently watched um, Castle Cagliostro with my children, mm-hmm. and that it, the plot's relatively simple and relatively basic. You know, hey, girl, rescue the girl, get away. You know, and there's some there's some twist and whatever, but it's very focused. Simple plots are very focused. You're like. Mm. And there's a, okay, that sounds, I was going to say there's a simplicity about it. Um, <laughs> but what I mean by that is that, you know, by simplicity, I mean, there's a s- sort of um, wholesomeness, a sort of um, purity. Purity. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like purity to it, that it is what it is. And you can, when it's done well, absorb that. It's like, you know, it's just a really nice picture, a really nice photograph. You know, it's just the beauties in the lines and in the composition, not in the detail okay maybe i guess if you could put it in an in a different analogy maybe like say a cooking analogy you can have very basic bread but depending on how you season it you know if you do a little bit of i don't know cheeses or yeah. i don't know how you season I'm not, okay i'm not a cook so maybe this isn't the best <laughs> well analogy. how about this how about this i was talking i've eaten for lunches for most of my life peanut butter jelly sandwiches uh-huh. and they're always good Okay. No, but peanut butter and jelly sandwich is just one of those simple delights. Well, okay, I love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> but, but one that, of those simple delights that it's it's just peanut butter, jelly, and bread, but it's always good. There you go. But then at, at the same time, sometimes you could have, like, say, a uh, pot roast that for some reason just didn't wind up having a whole lot of flavor to it. Yeah. I mean, for whatever reason, it was just bland meat. Um, and I think that may be, that's one of the reasons why I say Castle Cagliostro works so well. It's like, yeah, you've got a lot of familiar elements, um, an evil count, a forced marriage, a dashing thief, yeah. but it's, but it's in the, the seasoning, it's in all the flavors that that combination of things adds to that formula yeah. that makes it so cool. I concur. And I guess that's the bad simple, you know, it's like the action movie, some of the, you know, some of the more generic, generic action movies is that things are happening, but the simplicity doesn't make you love it more. It makes you bored. You know, it's not the sort of simplicity that brings out the flavor. It's the sort that just kind of, it just mashed together. Yeah. It's like all structure. And- it's all our culinary uh, references <laughs> tonight. No, but I mean, you know, some simplicity is that you, you couple things so you bring out the flavor. You know, you add just this to bring out the, mm-hmm. as opposed to just like, oh, we're just going to smash it all together and it's be delicious. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, one of the reasons I was thinking about this in terms of that sort of spectrum, I remember a while back seeing a tweet by Andrew Stanton. Yes. Um, the director of Finding Nemo and Finding Dory. And John Carter. John Carter. <laughs> underrated. <laughs> you, yes. A couple episodes of Stranger Things. Yes, the last season, season. Actually, yeah. And he said something along the lines, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't remember exactly how he said it, that um, if your characters are too simple and your plot is too complicated – You've got it backwards. You should have mm. complicated characters with a relatively straightforward story. Okay. It's kind of what, what he was arguing. You know, another example of a of a simple plot would be um, Dunkirk. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just basically survive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's and there, there's little things here, but it's basically just one kind of idea over and over again. Mm-hmm. But he pulls out that flavor yeah. masterfully. 
And I guess you could say similar sort of things like, say, the first Alien movie mm-hmm. uh, or a, a number of your, you know, kind of horror monster sort of things. You know, there's, there's really usually only one thing you want to do, and that's run away from the monster. Yeah. But it's in how you do that. And you can have, and, and Alien does have some very, you know, they're, they're just interesting enough. They're not, yeah. they're not stale cu- cardboard cutouts, you know. Ripley is, she's interesting. The There's a... That company guy that kind of betrays yeah. them, he's interesting. So there's a, a situation where you, you've got interesting characters and a pretty straightforward sort of scenario, and that's that can make for some pretty good storytelling. Mm-hmm. Now, I said earlier, though, that I do think that there's also a place for complicated stories. Yes. And I'd say one place, one of the more obvious places for this is be a mystery. Yeah. In a mystery, you actually, you want you want good characters. You know, any good story, you want to have good characters in it. But... Part of the fun of a mystery is you don't want to figure it out too easily. Yeah. You want there to be lots of like weird little pieces that come together in a. You like the twists and the turns and the red herrings and the. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you want to ramble around in a mystery. You don't want to go straight from. You don't want a straight line. Yeah, <laughs> I've been watching some let's plays of a series called uh, Donnie and Gropa again recently, okay. which I think I've talked about it before. It, it, I have a love-hate relationship with it because it has some elements that I really can't recommend it to people. But man, the the mysteries and the suspense that it has are really, really good. But because so it's a game. It's not quite a point and click. It's more like a. Have you ever heard of a visual novel? Just from you. Okay. <laughs> well, it, it's it's like a combination of manga and video game. In a sense. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure. Almost choose your own adventure ish sort of thing, and, and depends on the the uh, the novel. This this is really the only one I follow. I guess actually, I guess um, Phoenix Wright is kind of visual novel esque. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so you know, it's fi- almost on the rails, but they give you the illusion of freedom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And a big part of the. The mystery, of course, is finding all the clues to the killer. And by the time you actually put in each of the the, the mysteries in Don Ropa, they're always a murder mystery, which okay. is horrible because you actually grow to love every single character <laughs> in it, and then they all die. Yeah, you know, most of them die. But then you're like, but the mystery, I, I want to solve their murder because yeah. it's so intriguing. Um, but but by the time you actually piece together what has happened, you're like, this has got to be the most convoluted murder <laughs> plot ever. <laughs> but because it works as a game, it was really int- it's a great way to like pin all these oh, okay. piece all these things together. Hmm. So it's it's complicated, but you the complicated is part of the the appeal. I think. I think books in general have have more. Uh leeway for complicatedness, especially when, when, when you got series, mm-hmm. you know, because you don't keep a series going by going in a straight line. <laughs> That's true. Um, having read Wheel of Time. I was going to say. <laughs> um, no, or I'm pretty soon you're going to start the third book of Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. It's like 1,100 pages. I mean, yeah. it's... You have a book that long. There's no way you've got just a simple story on your hands. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you'll have just lots of simple stories crammed next to each other. Or like even like the first, and sometimes just lots of detail. Sometimes it can still be a simple story, but a long book. Mm-hmm. Um, like the first, the Eye of the World, the first Wheel of Time book, is really just Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, it's really oh, okay. leaving town and going on an adventure. So it's mm-hmm. pretty simple, but there's so much world. There's so many events that happen on the way mm-hmm. that it's um, it takes a long time. Now it gets a lot more complicated. You know, whenever you get politics involved in books, yeah. Um, I've been watching season two of The Crown. Okay. I'm not sure where to put that, whether in complicated or simple, honestly. Because on one hand, okay, complicated politics are like some of those movies, you have the three-hour movie and have all the moving pieces and it's complicated. Or um, West Wing, you know, you got lots of info. Mm -hmm. But like The Crown's interesting because they take a long time to milk one or two themes in like an episode. Okay. So sometimes it'll be politics happening but it it still feels simple because it's all pushing towards one kind of feeling or idea so it's all tied together really well okay that's that's an interesting way to balance the two i think then because you have if you have multiple plots going on that by itself leans a certain level of complexity yeah but if they're all sort of if you can tie them all thematically in some way, then then it, it doesn't feel yeah, quite that. And they're like intercut. And it's almost more about in like some episodes, almost more about the the idea of separation or of or marriage falling apart or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just has to be illustrated with the Suez Canal and the Prime Minister being sick and all this other stuff that could get complicated. But at least the way it's portrayed is much more. Um, it like it winnows out all the complicatedness and just. Until there's just a couple things. Uh-huh. It's interesting. 
And that's, I, I guess in some ways you have to do that to a degree because, you know, real life is, can be more complicated than, mm. you know, a basic story. So if More you're going to, yeah, yeah if, if you're, because that's a historical drama, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, so is it Victoria? No, it's uh, the current queen. Oh, it's the current queen. Oh, okay. But anyway, real life can be a lot more complicated than your yes. fairy tale story is, is going to be. Like nonfiction books can be much more complicated. Oh, yeah. You know, like biographies and mm-hmm. histories. Because there's just so many moving pieces. And you almost just get a summary of so. And that's why the, a lot of times they're big. I just finished the Martin Luther book. Uh-huh. You know, it's 400 pages. And it's still a summary. I mean. But uh, even historians, though, I think will sometimes will, will try to look, even though they have to capture you know, all the things that happen, they'll, they'll still sort of try to thematic. Like yeah, this, they'll winnow it, you know, they'll connect the piece, you know, they'll connect dots that you wouldn't necessarily... That you wouldn't have done in real life. Yeah, or because they can, they can telescope it. They can see five years at a time as opposed to day by day by day by day. Yeah. So they catch the threads. And so being a historian would be very interesting. You just sift through all this stuff and try to make a, make a, a narrative out of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the tricky things about being a historian. How honest is a historian being with it? Yeah. Or is he like imposing a narrative yeah. where it was just random events? Yeah. So that's that's an interesting thought. So back to complicated. Tell me, give yeah. me an example of a good complicated movie. A good, or, or book, I suppose. Um, well, I've been thinking video games lately, okay. actually. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I well, they have a lot more time. They have a lot more time in a in a video game. Um, I guess for a, a complicated, let's go. I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to come back to the video game thing. I think an enjoyable complication thing in a movie can also be something like charade, or I'm trying to think of another Hitchcock thing that was similar to charade. You know, one of these, not just where I guess it's it's part mystery, but it's not like murder mystery. It's like. There's spies, and you're not sure who is really the trustworthy okay. person, and there's, like, shifting allegiances and stuff. Um, the first Mission Impossible movie, uh, some people I remember saying was maybe a little too complicated, but it was also a little bit more – had a little bit more intrigue than, say, Mission Impossible 2, yeah. which was much more – Straightforward. Bravissimo and, you know, kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Here's a question. What, where would you put on the scale from simple to complicated something like Last Jedi? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, by the way, folks, in case you were wondering where this is, we did record a conversation of us <laughs> talking about The Last Jedi. Um, it's not... we, But Just then I went on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, we haven't actually edited that yet. But we'll come out at some point long after anyone, <laughs> anyone cares. cares about Last Jedi anymore. But um, we'll have done it. <laughs> but yeah, Last Jedi was a... Uh, I, I I still probably need to see it a second time because there was a lot going on in that movie. Now, here, here's my question. By a lot going on, is it a lot of plot going on or a lot of theme character going on? And are they, can you separate them? I'm not sure if you could separate them because I think it is both, in that, at least in that situation. Yeah. Now, the, I think you can have a, another movie where there is lots of plot and the characters aren't really growing. In Last Jedi, though, I feel like they, bo- I think both things are happening. So, like a complicated plot with bad characters would be something like, like a Transformers movie. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> How about uh, maybe some of the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels? Oh, okay, okay, that makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah, because you know, there's there's probably a lot more. You go to see a Pirates movie, you really just want to have fun and swashbuckling. But a lot of those movies tended to have. Well, the really... third one was super complicated. I Which remember. one? The third. Oh, yeah. Way more lore stuff, trying to world building than you really needed for a Pirates movie. It's like, we have to turn our ships upside down to go to the afterlife, and then we have to do this and find this magical artifact. And actually, while we were on vacation, I I finally saw the most recent Pirates, number five. And it was, like a a lot of the Pirates movies, it was a mess, but man, it had its moments. (laughs) (laughs) But it it was... Similar sort of things like why why are you making all your characters and actors go through all these hoops? I remember even Johnny Depp saying on set for like I don't know two or three is like wait what's going on again? Yeah. Um, so there's a complicatedness that in some ways is a method of the plot like mysteries mm-hmm. like it's not the same thing without it being complicated. Right. And there's one that complicated basically hides the pl- makes you not understand it. Yeah. Sometimes I think I think this might be inadvertent. I don't know that it's always just as a cover up of not having, you know, interesting characters. Sometimes I I do think it, it it happens because creators have so many ideas of what they might want to do in their story and then they have some sort of plot to try to connect all these things. So probably honestly, 
creators should probably learn more how to simplify stories. As a general As, but, rule. A, a, generally. I mean, obviously, there's exceptions. Yeah. I mean, I do think... Especially I'm, the longer it gets. Yeah. I do think, and this is going to be my personal taste here a little bit, Yeah, but I do think there is a certain charm in... I'm gonna okay. I'm just gonna talk about Kingdom Hearts okay, here for a do minute. this. I think there's a certain charm. Everyone knows Kingdom Hearts has probably an overly complicated plot, <laughs> but part of me is part of me really kind of likes that. <laughs> I, no, I will. I think there is something about compli- overly complicated plots, especially ones that the it doesn't quite mesh together. I don't know about Kingdom Hearts whether it meshes completely. Mm-hmm. That creates an investment in the reader. Or audience, or at least it can. There's... Or it can. Like I think, I think Lost did that. Yeah. I think the Prisoner. Okay. Um, or you're you're trying to part of the fun is almost trying to like theorize about how all these intricate parts kind of fit together. Evangelion. <laughs> Evangelion. I mean, I mean, yeah. They're like you know, there's a method to the madness, mm-hmm. or at least you believe there's one. Well, and and there's even it's it's interesting that to me that Kingdom Hearts sometimes gets a lot of flack for this, in some ways deserved, but at the same time. On YouTube, people love to do complicated conspiracy theories about stories that really don't need it. Like Jar Jar Binks is a Sith Lord. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> or, you know, all these Mario is actually this evil person yeah. that wants to take that has been controlling the Mushroom Kingdom. Or <laughs> you know, these goofy, complicated things that they they come up with all this contrived stuff to make to have this fun little theory. Like the the unified Pixar theory. Yeah, exactly. It's like, come on, guys, you know that's not true, but it's it's almost more fun to have these crazy convoluted schemes. You know, like physics has a theory of everything that everything there's a like an equation that captures all physics uh-huh. and he, the human mind purposely wants to make connections out of things yeah and so when there's that much when something you enjoy and there's that much plot you find and or even know, if there's not enough plot like you want to add more plot to it well i mean when i when i was in the mill wheel time and all my friends reading it would constantly i mean there's so much talk about this and that and the other thing because that's the excitement of having so much material yeah yeah and that's why people love theorizing about loss yeah. while it was ongoing. And yeah, no, it's it's definitely so. There's an element of complication that I think can be really fun for an audience. I do think, like I said, though, it is sort of a matter of taste. There's mm-hmm. some kind of people that that's not going to appeal to. Yeah, I mean, I've talked at some point before about when I read Kevin Murphy's book. Oh yes, um, about going to movies and stuff. And there was a story that stuck with me from when he went to see The Fellowship of the Ring, because it was when that was in theaters. And he was overhearing some somebody else in line talking about, you know, some minutia of Tolkien lore that the movie didn't get right or stuff like this. And Kevin thought to himself how he used to be sort of like that in college, loving tracking down, you know, where such and such magic item came from. You know, the sword is from Gondolor and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas as as an older adult, he, he was less and less interested in that sort of thing. Wanted to see more character interactions, mm-hmm. more character studies in, in his movies and stuff. And I I totally respect that. In some ways, that is deeper than just this kind of service level of, well, this connects to this, you see, and there's this family tree over yeah. here. I think even Tolkien sort of like poked fun at himself sometimes in like the uh, House of Healing, is that what it's called? In Return of the King. Yeah. There's some lore master there who, when... Gandalf or Aragorn asks about, I think, Kingsleaf. He's like, well, he goes into this long spiel about it. And he's like, well, we don't have any. And, <laughs> and Gandalf snaps, well, then find someone who has less lore and more sense. <laughs> so I think even Tolkien kind of like to poke fun. Like, it, it's fun to create all this interconnected plot. But uh, sometimes you have to realize it's not the end goal of the story necessarily. Yeah, and I suppose sometimes creators like to... Um Make up all that stuff, but then transferring it into a plot that's interesting to other people yeah. becomes the balancing act of how much do people care about this minutia. Mm-hmm. And I think it is harder for fantasy in, in general. Yeah. And that's that's one thing that is a valid complaint about Final Fantasy XV, that sometimes the cosmology world building was so kind of pushed off in the corner that sometimes mm. things happen. You're like, wait, why did we do all this? So they, they, they pushed the characters so much in the, and downplayed the... Downplayed some of the world building. Some the world sometimes building. you didn't really have a context for what was going so on. So a little more, a little more complicated yeah. up front might have been helpful. Yeah. Now, I, I know one reason why that happened that way, because 15 is such an open world game, almost on purpose. Like the last... 
the last single-player Final Fantasy before this was 13, uh, which some people called Final Hallway 13 <laughs> because it was so straightforward, they said, and, and uh, you didn't have much room to explore at all. Yeah. So 15 and like made it wide open so that you can go wherever. You can do you know do all these side quests. If you really wanted to find out about the cosmology, there were these little books scattered around that you could yeah. read or listen to this certain radio broadcast, but it could be very easy to miss some of that yeah. stuff. Which, again, that's some of the complications with telling stories in an interactive medium. Yeah. But but yeah, finding the perfect way to integrate the um, the lore in a way that makes sense mm-hmm. while keeping your basic story simple can be walking a very fine line at times. Yeah. So really, creators have, if they make it too simple, if they make it simple and boring, people are just like, well, I've seen this a million times, who cares? Uh-huh. And make it complicated and overly complicated, then people are like, oh, I can't get through it. <laughs> so it's somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. That's the, uh, at least that's where you're going to hit the widest spectrum. What's the, the, the four quadrant thing, yeah. as, as they say in movie biz. I, I do enjoy the send and quote, you know, complicated characters help a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In general. I mean, if you're doing a, if you're focusing on a character study, that might be a good starting point and, you know, having the complicated characters that can, Push you through. Even if you've got a weak plot, then the, there'll still be something interesting. Uh, learn something about this person and that per, in that perspective you learn about yourself. Do you think there's examples of complicated plots where you purposely make the characters simple because you wanted the plot to be the point? I think you can compare different versions of uh, Sherlock Holmes to this, actually. Okay. Like, new Sherlock, BBC Sherlock... The characters, there's a lot of character study yeah. in that, but the the plots, the mysteries are pretty complex yeah. too. So there you're sort of having best of both worlds. And the original books, it's hard to say. I mean, Sherlock and Watson were always very vibrant. You knew yeah. who Sherlock and Watson were, but there wasn't like character, that much character growth no, that's from true. story they to were, story. Well, a lot of mystery, I mean, a lot of even modern TV mysteries are largely just fun characters that don't change with the plot being basically a, an excuse for letting the characters interact with each other. Mm-hmm. So, which is actually opposite than Sherlock Holmes, I guess, because that's really <laughs> just an excuse for Sherlock Holmes' excuse to have complicated mysteries. Yeah, <laughs> in a lot of ways, that's true. So, I guess, yeah, that's interesting about mysteries. There's, there's two different, very different ways to do that. I mean, you're talking about your your fun characters. That's kind of your like like your psych and your your um, monk and yeah, you know, where it's almost more about watching. I mean, the not the mystery is not important, but. You'd show up for whatever mystery as long as so-and-so is in it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Well, all right. Uh, I know when we started, you sure... I'm not sure where we're going with this conversation, no, Tim. Like, this, this is interesting. I'm surprised we have not talked about this directly Yeah, in the last seven, eight years. Well, one thing we've been finding out about uh, podcasting, like there's storytelling has a lot of potential topics yes. to cover, <laughs> which is nice. Yes. Um, but with, that will be our story school for the day, and now we will go on into soundtrack. soundtrack today, I decided I really wanted something Kingdom Hearts for reasons that we've already covered, basically. (laughs) (laughs) And thankfully, I'm not going to be able to play this whole song because it's a little long, but I'll I'll play a nice chunk from it. Uh, This is from Kingdom Hearts 2. The remix is called Duet of the Keyblade Masters, and it's a piano duet, which I think is super cool. And also like that it's from a different track than just Supple Unclean or Dearly Beloved. Which, don't get me wrong, I love those songs, but it seems like everybody remixes those songs. Yeah. And come on, guys, Yoko Shimomura has got some awesome tracks uh, across the entire Kingdom Hearts series. But this is a duet of the Keyblade Masters. It's uh, done by Uboichi. Sure. Boichi. <laughs> Normally I get those names. Yeah. Uh, weird. Anyway, like I said, this is only an, an excerpt from it. If you want to hear the whole thing, go check it out on OC Remix. Uh, but I think you'll enjoy
and we're back. Hello, Tim. That was nice. I enjoyed it. Yes, it's it's pretty fun. Actually, my you should ask uh, my sister Rachel to play some of that. They actually have the sheet music oh, available really? somewhere online, and it's it's pretty cool. Cool. Although I don't know if she's ever played it as a duet with anyone. I'll have to ask her about that. Hmm. Cool. Anyway, let's go on to our next segment. Our take on tales. Right, so I thought it would be fun, and Tim agreed. I do agree. Um, that hear ye, hear ye. <laughs> we always do our summer movie take on tales sometime late summer. I thought in January we need to do our our year in review of books to kind of review some books that we've read over the year, and then also maybe give you some suggestions for this year of sure. things that we liked and you should read. Now, this won't keep us from talking about books that we really want to talk about as we read them, of That's course, during, during the year. Um, a couple of these from last year we have already talked and about. And we'll just, we'll just point you in the right direction to hear our yeah. extended conversation. So now, are we just talking book club books, or were you going to mention I, some other books? I'm going to mention a handful of other ones. but Okay, because you've been, as usual, you are the much more avid reader than I am, because writing is kind of your thing. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I can't, yeah, I'm always working, reading, trying to get through something. So Yeah, so I, my, I will be able to join in on a couple of these. <laughs> but Tim and I are part of a book club, and that's where a lot of these come from. The uh, We call it the No Pressure Book Club, um, <laughs> which is good because sometimes we're busy and... We don't read it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So early on last year, we read The Silmarillion to begin with. That was the January book. Just as a general, if you don't know Silmarillion for some reason, listen to this podcast. Um, What's wrong with you? It's, it's Tolkien is really the work that he wanted, he, he started working on and always wanted to... F- was his main work, really. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, the History of Middle-Earth, and it, it is wonderful. It is thick, and it is dense, and there are a lot of names starting with F and E. Um, <laughs> it, this is a good kind of complicated, actually. It is, Yeah, this is a very good kind of complicated. It's one of those books that it's beautiful, and if you have the, the mindset to read a book like this, do it. Yeah. There will be some sections. Now, I didn't read through, actually, all this myself this time, because I think I had just read it, like, maybe a year or two yeah. ago. But yeah, there's definitely sections that are more history telling than storytelling. Yeah, some, in some of it ways. feels very like Old Testament, like you're reading the Book of Judges and they're giving the land out to the tribes, sort of mm-hmm. stuff. Like there's a whole section where the movement of the elves across the land, and it's it's. I mean, it reads like history. It does not read like a novel. No, not at all. The end reads more like stories we're used to. Yeah, the the yeah more in the the latter half. There's three big ones. You can tell Tolkien spent a lot of time on these. Of Turin Turambar, mm-hmm. of Baron and Luthien, which is probably Tolkien's shining jewel yeah. of short stories. It's it's amazing, and can't think of the guy who uh, who oh. goes into the who sails into the sea. El Elendil, yeah, Elendil. Basically, the last chapter. Yeah, that was a good and, deal. And it's written purposely the way. Like the first chapter is a creation story, and it's written very that style, and it becomes more oral story ish. The newer in history it, be- it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does he does a lot of language choices yeah. based on how old, quote unquote, the story is. Yeah, of course the like the Numenor section reads completely different than. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's yeah, it feels more a little closer to the to what we read in Lord of the Rings almost. Yeah, not I mean not quite that that much, but it's not quite as. It's an in between. Yeah, it's an in between. It's it's really interesting because the vast majority of the book takes place in the first age of Middle Earth, and then the Numenor. Is the second age. Is the second age, and then there's a little bit of there's a little chapter that's about the third right. age before, which you is get basically to, the war. The I mean, basically third age is what what ends with the Fellowship of the Rings, right? Yeah, right, right. So or with the Return Lord of the, the Rings King. and yeah. Return, yeah, Return of the King. Uh, anyways, basically anything anything ever mentioned in Lord of the Rings and songs and stuff shows up in Silmarillion. Yeah, it's pretty astonishing after reading this of Silmarillion to go to Lord of the Rings and realize. Actually, know what they're talking about. Last time I went through my Tolkien read through, it was just so much cooler. It's like, oh, Baron Luther, this is a big deal. Wait, the sword's from Gondolor? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like sometimes it just feels like, oh, just some name you throw around because it's a fancy it's novel. Like, but like, no, there's a there's a history. Here. Yeah, like that, a deep history. Yeah, Gondor and Gondolor. Is that am I Gondolin? saying Gondolin? Gondolin, I think that's that's what it is. They're two yeah. different places, but yes, Gondolin was. And then what's, super cool. what's the forest everyone's hiding into? Uh, That's where Luthien comes from. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, it's not coming to mind. Turgen? Melian, Melion, or is that was that Melian? That, that's that's the that's, queen. That's the queen. No, oh. um, I want to say Turgon, but I think that's the father. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> well, where they live. Yes. So, anyways, I think our recommendation would be 
read it. Yes. If this it sounds at all interesting to you, check it out. If, yeah. you, if you've been putting it off, check it out. <laughs> Put it on your list. All right. After that, um, we read The Princess Bride, the book. Yes. This is one I did not get to. And honestly, it was probably my most disappointing one of the year of our book club. Now, had you read it before? No, I'd never read it. Okay. Um, here's the problem. The things that are like the movie are just like the movie, mm-hmm. which are good, but I don't want to read it if I can watch it. Uh-huh. Um, and the things that they add are, are kind of interesting. But my main thing is that it's just the book comes off more cynical than the movie does. Mm. There's a whole like intro about the author, how he came to write this book, and this whole conceit that he found it from this other guy. But sets it up very cynically, just the worldview, not so much the book. Mm. And then just the love stories like... Like, the movie, you always feel like, well, they're making fun convention, but they're also, it's more of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, isn't this fun? Mm-hmm. The book, you get a little more of the, like, <laughs> well, yeah, just a little, not, I mean, not hardcore, but just, I didn't like that. Almost and, like he's being too smart for his own good. Or, or, or just thing. like, you know, you're more mocking true love than uh, ribbing it. Okay. In some ways, like. Yeah, there is a you, difference. You're, you're, yeah, you're, you're mocking sort of the, the way things, tradition, I don't know, it just, it has a different feel. Now, Fezig. Is much more complicated. His backstory. His backstory is probably the most interesting thing in the book. And he has kind of a sad backstory. Hmm. And it's interesting. He's the most interesting character because he's like the only one with like any character. I mean, outside of just being like a cardboard cutout. You know, like he has a backstory and he he's interesting. But yeah, I was I, I just stick with the movie, honestly. If I would ask people ask some people, it's interesting to read as a as a thing I think came out before the movie did. Hmm. And it's written the same guy and there's a lot of this word for word. I mean, a lot of it. <laughs> he must have known which parts were, were, were funny and good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, I would pass personally. Okay. So first one, a good. Second one, pass. That was our February yeah. book. And then Until We Have Faces, which we talked about a lot in this podcast. We did. Um, that was... Our show, myth podcast. Episode 76. Okay. So we talked about Till We Have Faces in episode 76. Basically, go there if you want to hear us talk substantial about myths and Lewis and Till We Have Faces, but great read just read it yeah no i mean you know c.s lewis is going to be a good read and it was one of the last c.s lewis i read i think it was cer- certainly one of the last fiction books i don't know if there's any c.s lewis fiction i haven't read yet unless you I, count the pilgrim's regress i have not read that i think I'd, i think the only thing i read after this was um that hideous strength which was very strange <laughs> oh yes <laughs> i know there's a lot of his nonfiction and poems that yeah. I've, I've read those at all yeah um, but no, this is definitely one that's going to stick with me. I think the scene that still sticks with me the most is her rant. and the, oh, At the end? Yeah, at the end. Th- I think of that last, that thing quite a bit, actually. And this, Tim and I were talking about another time about how sometimes understanding the author helps a lot in game books. Understanding Lewis's relationship with myth mm. and stuff like that that's does help point. with this book. But I don't think you need that. Yeah, that's what, yeah. I can see that. But anyways, read it. Yep. All right. Okay. So what's next? Uh, Book of Strange New Things. Oh, yes. That's another one we talked about. Uh, substantially. That one we talked about just in a previous Our Take on Tales, I believe. Yes. Episode 79. A substantial talk about it there. That's where you should get the most of it. But basically, it's about a missionary that goes to a four alien planet and a lot of other weird things happen. It's a fascinating book. It's a great like book club book. Mm-hmm. It'd be um, the ideal situation for it, I think, because yeah. you, you, you want to, to talk about it and discuss it, and not everyone is going to have to have read this book. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's one you want to discuss and one that is ambiguous enough that people will have different views on. Yes, I think they could have very different views. You and I had some different ideas, yeah. perspectives on it, which we usually are always on the same page <laughs> for things. I will say, too, though, <laughs> I was thinking about this. Strangely enough, another book... With a uh, rant in the in, toward the end that I loved <laughs> for completely different reasons. Was that Kurtzman? I think so. Okay, not the main character. No, no. In this case, but <laughs> um, but it's I would recommend to anyone who likes literary fiction, science fiction, just things that are weird, <laughs> weird collection of. It's not your normal book in any. I mean, it is a strange new thing. <laughs> it is a strange new thing, but worth the experience. It I was, is worth the experience. I was a little. I remember when I first finished, I was like, I don't know, if this is worth it. But then a couple months later, I was like, man, I'm, I'm glad I read that. It was it was memorable. I am glad. Yeah, that's probably the one I was most maybe not most surprised by, but very it's very thought provoking. Yes. in lots of ways. Okay. Anyways, after that was Three Musketeers, which I did not had not read this one yet, or still never, still haven't. I've read never. This I don't think I'd ever read any Dumas. Um, I read The Count of Monte Cristo um, several years ago, 
but unfortunately it didn't really stick with me. I mean, I remember liking it a lot, but uh, tell me if this was true in The Three Musketeers. From what I remember, Dumas, it was complicated in that Victorian sense of, you could tell he wrote this over a long period of time, probably serialized or something. You could tell it was serialized. It very much had different modes to it. It felt like two or three different books. Uh-huh. Looking back, I, I enjoyed it and I liked I'm glad I read it. I remember in the middle of it thinking it was all over, like, the beginning's kind of like, okay, what's happening here? And then right in the middle is like, these guys are horrible people. And then a little <laughs> bit after that, like, yeah, D'Artagnan's just a misogynist. And then at the end, like, this is Musketeers. Um, <laughs> it finally became what you thought the Three Musketeers was supposed to be. Yeah, it's it, it goes through a lot of phases because it, it was serialized. I mean, the beginning's just introducing people. And it, it's the beginning's fun. The middle, they're just kind of horrible people. I mean, <laughs> they're drunks and liars and thieves and adulterers and mm. i mean there's a lot of that french sort of like mistresses and uh. and purposely making people fall in love with you with you so that you can take their money and i mean they're not really i mean they're really kind of horrible moral people wow. but they're also portrayed in this sort of like haha where we're some right in the middle section it's being played for humor but it's you know humor is based on people's foibles and you, they seem the worst they mm-hmm. you know so in some ways the Musketeer is almost better as the sort of the idea that's been transformed 10 million times in different things than in the actual plot of the book. Now, there's a lot of really interesting stuff in the book, and the end is particularly musketeery. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, it's like like a lot of old Victorian serialized stuff. Hmm. It's all over the place. Okay. And so if you like that sort of stuff or you want to experience it, read it. But I don't think it's like a must read. A must read. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. All right, Fantasties, which you've started, right? I have started. I've not gotten very far. I've uh, read like maybe the first five chapters, I think. I'll say the f- Fantasties starts slow. Okay. Um, yeah, so far it's just about a guy who kind of wanders into fairyland, and it's more of a, and I don't know if the whole book is like this, it's more of a uh, just kind of seeing things and exploring things. Kind of, kind of but it, it Fantasties was probably in some ways the most surprising because I had a lot of time reading, a hard time reading it. I tried to read it. On my iPad, I just I could not get into it, and then I changed the mode I was reading it in, and I don't know whether because of a certain spot or because of the method I was reading it. It takes a very interesting turn about halfway through. Okay. Um, By the way, if you yeah. if the listeners don't know fantasy, oh, I guess we shouldn't mention because it's not as here. common. Yeah. yeah, this is a George MacDonald book. George MacDonald wrote a number of fairy tales. He was a big influence on Lewis and mm-hmm. probably Tolkien too, probably and maybe Chesterton. I don't know. Yeah, it could be Chesterton too. Yeah. Actually, and didn't I mean I think he was huge influence on Lewis. Didn't didn't um, he shows up in Great Divorce? Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it starts off with a guy kind of wandering into fairyland. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of it's just run around fairyland. Okay. And first off, he does a great job of that sort of portraying fairyland as actually this otherworldly fairy realm in the old school sense of fairy realm. Yeah. And he does that remarkably. There's a lot of just sort of like just strange fantastical things that you don't. It feels like old school fantasy mm-hmm. as opposed to mo- modern fantasy is too. It's a lot of it's very, it feels like it's modern sensibilities with dragons. Yeah. You know, and magic mm-hmm. as right. opposed to feeling actually otherworldly. Mm-hmm. This book has a lot of that. And then it has a, a lot of very interesting themes on sorrow and love and mm. stuff later on. So I really appreciate it. And I, I think I would like to, my first McDonald's, well, I'd read a shorter thing called The Light Princess. Mm. But I would like to read it. Oh, I think else. I read the Light Princess. John Baylor once he and um, Stephen, when I was I was doing kind of a rooming thing situation with them for a while, they actually gave me a copy of George McDonald's Fairy Tales. There's a, a book of a collection of. Okay, them. I think it's a is it a Penguin collection? I probably would be. Yeah, um, but it's 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 pretty cool. I've I've read probably about half of them. But yeah, no, he he does fairy setting very well. So I knew I knew that would be a, a neat thing going into it. I'm trying to remember if there's even like excerpts from fantasies in it or not. Are there sections that you could kind of cut out as a um, as a standalone? Maybe early on, especially, yeah. We'll see. Um, there's parts of it that reminds me of Wizard of Earthsea. There are parts of it that just have you could tell that Lewis or Tolkien were influenced by. But it's it's a very interesting, fascinating book. Okay. Um, again, it's a little old, little little slow to get into, but it gets better and better as you read it. Okay. So if you're that sort of person, read it. Sounds I, good. I liked it substantially. It's one of my best, one of the best ones of the year. Uh, of the year. Yeah. Cool. I'm looking forward to reading more. All right. Next uh, was Hellboy. A graphic novel. Yeah. See the destruction. Just the first. The first the introduction of Hellboy. Yeah. Essentially. So what do you think about this one? 
this is interesting. If you don't know who Hellboy is, he's a big red devil-ish guy. Basically, he's a he, he's a demon that was someone from hell. Yeah. But raised to be a good guy. It, so uh, he's like, he's like this kind of mild man. I mean, he gets angry. Yeah. But he's kind of this mild mannered paranormal detective like english like, yeah yeah <laughs> it's a fascinating di- um dichotomy that right thing yeah juxtaposition mm-hmm. it's kind of like the thing for fantastic four okay yeah well i mean kind of the same sort of gruff well it's it's different not, because ben not quite a little gruff. more gruff and yeah. and and hellboy is actually pretty prop not proper but respectful respectful yes he's yeah he has this sort of english Respect for people and his elders and stuff. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Although I never pictured him talking with a British accent. I don't think he does at least. No, in, no. I've, I've seen the first movie a long time ago, but it, I didn't honestly remember a whole lot of it. So it's very, I mean, it feel, I mean it's very gothic. Yes, very gothic. It's, and not, very, it's like Indiana Jones meets... Um, Lovecraft? Yeah, kind of. It's not a setting that... I, I don't like Lovecraft stuff. I don't, I don't go for horror genre stuff in general, but it was a very enjoyable... The way they did it in this comic, I thought was enjoyable. I mean, yeah. that was because of the art style. The, and the art style is very, is very stark, but works really well for this content. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. I felt toward the end that it's, it's kind of cool, and this giving a little bit away, but you find out the main villain is Rasputin, yeah. brought back from the dead, because that's what Rasputin does. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I felt like he monologued a little bit too much in the second half about how awesome he was and that kind of stuff. And I always will find the heroes more interesting. Yeah. But like I said, I'm glad I checked it out. I'd seen it for a long time, yeah. didn't know much about it, but it was cool. Yeah, I thought, yeah, I really liked it. It did seem like there was almost a little too much Dusik Machina near the end of it. Mm. Like just weird supernatural things happening. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. And finally, to finish off the year, we had The Chimes by Charles Dickens, which is one of his Christmas stories. Yes. Well, technically a New Year's story. Yeah, more of a New Year's story, but it's, it's called one of his Christmas short stories, yeah. sort of, because it's part of a similar vein. It was published the year after A Christmas Carol. It's kind of like The Christmas Carol from the Cratchit's point of view. <laughs> sort of, yeah. Because the the person who has kind of a ghostly encounter in this case is a poor person. It's mm-hmm. not a rich Scrooge. It's um, an average person who uh, basically... Uh, Feeds into the lies that the poor people are... Are fed, are moral Are morally evil because they're poor. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. Or are destined to be morally evil. Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting. It is very Dickens. It's very Dickens. It feels a little more of its time than than the Christmas, Christmas Carol, Carol does. Christmas Carol sort of ascends its time in a sense. The Chimes feels a little bit more of its time. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed reading it, but it's certainly it's a different read, beast. If you haven't read Christmas Carol, read that instead. Yeah, that's true. yes. I, I I would agree with that. The Chimes is almost like an entire just the Ghost of Christmas future. Mm-hmm. Like of the of the, the cratchits, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because of that, it's a fair bit darker. I think if you read it with people, you could probably have some discussions on poverty and how you deal. You know how society should interact with people because there's a lot of commentary on that from Dickens. I mean, it's all rooted in Victorian mm-hmm. sensibilities, but I think you could probably massage it into modern life. <laughs> I mean, again, if you've already read A Christmas Carol and you want to... And you like Dickens. Yeah, so we, we kind of have this idea. We'll see if we, we keep it up since... Because we did last year we did A Christmas Carol, so mm-hmm. we thought, well, let's, Dickens has written a couple of these Christmas short stories. Let's try to go through all of them, one each year. And uh, so this is the second one, so we'll see what the next one yeah. is like. Right. Do we have... that's all, That was all our book club books. Yep. Um, do I have time for one more? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I wanted to, I read some other books. I have kids, so we read some with them. So I want to do one of theirs that we read recently, and then one literary book that I, I need to talk about. Okay. One is, we read The Wizard of Oz together, ah. which I've never read the book. Mm-hmm. It's one of those cases where the book, the movie is probably the better. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, the, I wanted to read the book because my kids haven't watched the movie yet. Hmm. And Rennie, this, which is probably a little scary for her still. Oh, okay. um, but it is such a it is so seeped in the cultural like we watch a Phineas and Ferb that was based on Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. They don't know what it's based on, but everyone just assumes you know the Scarecrow and the Tin Man and the yeah. I mean it's yeah. you don't even teach people that. It just is. Yeah. <laughs> everyone um, assumes you've seen it at some point. Yeah, or you know it even if you've never seen it. It's one of the movies you don't even have to see to know. Uh-huh. Anyways, we read the book just because I thought, hey, it's free on Gutenberg and we'll try it. It's interesting because it, it at the beginning, Frank L. Baum says he wouldn't write a kind of a fairy tale, but he wouldn't take out all the scary stuff, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, this kind of anti-Lewis. Lewis is like, <laughs> the scary stuff's good for him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So not that there's not 
peril, but there, it really is just like a series of things that happen. <laughs> um, and like Dorothy rarely actually does things happen to Dorothy, and she happens to do things that get her out of it. I mean, there's no more explanation about the water hardly than in the you know just. Uh-huh. Ah, you defeat the witch by accidentally covering her with water. <laughs> oh, you did this by you got them rid of this because this field mice showed up randomly. It just structurally, it was a very interesting thing that is it, it's interesting in the sense that things happen, but from a plot point of view, very little of it happens from the characters choosing to do things on purpose. Hmm. That seems problematic. It's very strange. It's very strange. Now, Phil loves it. I mean, he's he's read. Three or four more books since then. Huh. Um, uh-huh. I mean, it is very interesting. I mean, there's, I mean, it is actually fascinating to think that at one point no one knew Wizard of Oz. And then this guy came up with a cowardly line, a tin man, a scarecrow. I mean, <laughs> and it, there's a lot of books in that series. If there's, you look at the I think history. there's 14 heroes and there's 40 all together. 40 all the, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of other people wrote books after them. And- um, but, I mean, it's it really is an astounding work of imagination in the sense that we forget that it didn't exist. Yeah. And then this guy just <laughs> came up with all this stuff. And it's, it's and there's flying monkeys. I mean, this is not normal fairy tale stuff. It's not like you're using fairies over again. I mean, it's yeah. all new. Yeah. So, from that point of view, it's interesting. But, yeah, there's just something about, there's something about the motivations that just feels we- off. Feels a little off, yeah. Uh-huh. And I don't know if it keeps that way or whether they change it up. It is interesting, though, again, considering that it must have been a really popular book series at the time. If they continue to make him after him yeah. and like that many books, but just the movie just so completely eclipsed it. It it's did. Just, yeah. It's an interesting thing to think about in terms of longevity of, of series that we think are really important to us, but how important will they be down the road? And, and the thing is, the movie, you know, it changes tons of stuff. Mm hmm. And so if you were a book purist, you'd be mad at The Wizard of Oz. I think it's kind of funny, too. You said that uh, you, you wrote a not wanting a fairy tale without things that scare kids. And, when, and then The Witch is, like, super scary for kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we the, I mean, The Witch just shows up at the end, and she's kind of mean. And and not even we're not even talking about Return to Oz, which <laughs> apparently is full yeah, of nightmare fuel. We need to go watch that, Tim. That, that could be an experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyways... I, it was interesting. I, there was some neat things in it, like the China people. Uh-huh. They're all made out of China. Okay. And they just go through. The, it's, a, it's a little bit like a Gulliver's Travels where like they just they encounter you, weird you just encounter stuff. weird things and keep moving. Okay. Um, maybe maybe some... that's a better way of looking at it than saying the plot's wrong. It's more just like a travel through an interesting land. Uh-huh. I wonder if there were, used to be more, there was a kind of mode of fairy tale like that. Like, Pinocchio has a lot of weird... They, I mean, it, Pinocchio is almost more of a morality tale yeah. in a lot of ways. I mean, that's that's kind of the point. But the world that he explores doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And maybe maybe that was just a thing. Yeah. And that's, well, it's interesting. Dorothy gets... Like, like the first chapter, there's a tornado... T- there's none of this, like, setup of, like, people being played by other people, like, in the movies. Just like... <laughs> right. Like, she's just taking him a tornado. Uh-huh. Um, and then when she comes back... They had built a new house already, and they're like, "Oh, where have you been?" And like, there's no like, <laughs> it just and it ends. So <laughs> it just there's never any sort of like emo- deep emotional anything. It's just sort of. <sighs> it is very funny though because like the Tin Man's always like crying about things, and he's like, "I wish I had a heart." And there's <laughs> always like th- figuring out the problem. I mean, uh-huh. that sort of clever stuff was even in the book, okay. even more than in the movie. That's nice. So, anyways, it was interesting. Cool. And then one more is Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. I'm guessing this is not something you read to your kids. No, I didn't know. Do not. (laughs) Wise Blood, it was a fascinating book. Yeah? I really enjoyed it. Now, was this your first Flannery O'Connor? Yeah, I had read a short story or two between English class or whatever. Okay. Um, But this was, it's very hard to describe. It's basically black comedy. It's about this guy, Hazel Motes, who basically is trying to convince himself that he doesn't care about Jesus. Um, and he starts this Church of Christ Without Christ. And there's this kind of crazy guy that follows him around called Enoch Emery. And then there's this false prophet guy, Asa Hawks, who says he blinded himself with a lie in order to prove his devotion to Jesus. It's it's like um, something... I've heard of Flannery O'Connor's style it tends to be called a... Southern Gothic. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's... Because, I mean, it, it's down south, but there's all these sort of characters and scenarios that are just slightly askew. There, yeah, I mean, there's there, there's this guy in a gorilla suit that Enoch Emery's all jealous of, and there's this daughter of this 
of the prophet guy who's just immoral. It, it's hmm. it's bizarre. It's I started reading it and I I think it was taking it too seriously. Oh really? In the sense that you're supposed to laugh more. It's supposed to be more. It's supposed to be taking ridiculous some of it. Okay. There's also serious things being said, mm-hmm. but it's just a weird style. It's like something. Um, I can't think of his name. Who does all the crazy, um, like Beetlejuice and what's that director? Oh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. It's almost feel like Tim Burton could do a movie of this. I mean, it'd be <laughs> it'd be more thematically rich than some of his is. Right. But that that sort of dark but humorous kind of weird combo style uh-huh. might work. And there is a movie apparently they made of it. Oh really? Um, I'm not seeing it, but it's interesting. But the fascinating thing is the main theme really is that he keeps trying to escape Jesus because all this idea of sin and you know they need to come to Jesus and repent and all. he keeps trying to escape it and he can't. And that's the fascinating thing that in the end, basically, he gives up trying to run away from him. Hmm. Now, Flannery Connor's Catholic, and the ending also is very Catholic. But there's a lot of this sort of um, penance, like oh, okay. working your, you know. Uh-huh. Which was really disappointing because I loved the idea of that. Basically, he kept trying to escape and God wouldn't let him go. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but this idea of just like free grace is not quite there, mm. um, which it was kind of disappointing in the last chapter. But her writing style was also fabulous. And it just, it, it, it was a mesmerizing read in many ways. Once you got into kind of the weirdness that it is. Uh-huh. Like there's, the, you know, Emery kind of worships this shrunken, person that's in this museum and he steals it and to worship it and this car that make care buys for like 50 bucks and he keeps trying it's just it's a strange book um but i really liked it <laughs> okay so if you want to try something different i think it's one i think the farther I got into it, the more i got kind of what she, the style she was the going style for. she was going for and i think from what i read people come from from non-christian point of view get different things out of it or don't understand it in the same way. Oh, okay. There are just some sort of ideas about sin and guilt that if you think God's not important, mm-hmm. come off differently. Interesting. Um, because he, she just takes it seriously. You know, to mm-hmm. her, it's a good thing that he finally goes back to religion. And but some, some people, people don't take it that way. Especially since it's such a weird book. Uh-huh. So. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. When did you read that? Uh, it would have been this fall sometime. Okay. Probably after Hellboy. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So that I, I was really I got that from the bakery when they closed down or when we sold it. Was that the, was that last year? Yeah. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so it took you all to actually get to it. Oh yeah, I stole a couple books and I just that was the first one I've read. Oh okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, again, the weekly hijack is ongoing with Babylon Five, and you should really check that out. Yeah. Please subscribe. We're excited about it. We've honestly, I look forward to it every Sunday night. I love watching. <laughs> I love watching Babylon Five. It's one of the great TV shows. And if you'd like to support our podcast, whether it's this one or The Weekly Hijack, we would really appreciate it if uh, you could leave us a review on iTunes. And just share the podcast with friends. Um, Visit our Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Say hi sometime. And, of course, all podcast episodes are available at derailedtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. I guess that's it then. Yeah. I suppose before more of those weird things come out, we should probably mosey on out. And I'm going to sharpen up my blade here here a little bit. Why Why don't you set up your next soundtrack? Okay. So, um, I've been playing through Final Fantasy IV with my kids, and I was just reminded since we were talking about plot, it's a very, in some, well, I won't say straightforward, it's, it's very simple in the sense that... Old school? It's old school, thank you. <laughs> I'm like, wow, it's just old school. It's like, this happens, and it just keeps moving, and characters come in, they leave, and it's, I need revenge, and you're my brother, and <laughs> I've become good, and you know, it's just very pulpy in some ways uh-huh. which has been a lot of fun and there's even parts where like and meanwhile somewhere the bad guys are plotting you see what the bad guys are plotting uh-huh. anyways that's the <laughs> that's the song that gets remixed for this this remix here the remix is Somewhere to Hide um, it's remixed by Highbound and Loca Lefebvre I don't know how I would have something I can't pronounce names close enough close enough I really dig this song it's my return to Final Fantasy after a year of trying to pick other things so I hope you enjoy and Tim, let's uh, get going here. Yeah, oh, hopefully this place will still exist long enough, long for enough for us to go, or not exist long enough for us to go. Well, it is. That's right. We're in non-existence. Yeah. So hopefully we can exist again. I, I think we still exist. It's just the world doesn't exist. But well, how are okay? It, it, you know, it's complicated. Just trust okay, me. Okay. 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 Sounds good. That's the way it works. Okay. Well, uh, this has been Nick, and this is Tim. Adios. Bye.
Be 